Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. This is part 11 of The Death Show, which is going to focus on communication with those who are in spirit. Some individuals will go to a psychic medium, and the psychic will communicate with the spirit and relay messages. That is one way of communication. Another way is that our beloved friends and relatives will come to us in dreams. And sometimes you'll see things, you'll see signs and symbols and strange coincidences, and that is probably them communicating with you. So we're going to talk with our experts and develop your uh, how to be more receptive and perceptive to this communication. Another thing you might want to do is you might want to go on our, the Outer Limits Radio, OuterLimitsRadio.com, and look up the shows that we did with Dr. Jill Allen Wexler and Dr. James Hart which talks about how your brain perceives different information based on what frequency it's oscillating on. Apparently, we are oscillating on a waking reality in alpha or beta, which is kind of higher frequency. But if your brain goes into a delta state, which is just about when you're about to go to sleep, or a theta state, which is a slower frequency, apparently you could be more perceptive to other forms of information. We can't perceive all the information at once because of the way our brains are structured. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, we've heard from some of the people that we've previously interviewed that if you meditate and you get yourself into a quiet space, you can be more receptive to that communication. So we're going to talk to our experts, do anything we can to open that communication. For those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis and who want to know how they can communicate with me after I die... This is how it's going to work. When you want to talk to me, sit into a nice, quiet place, clear your mind, wait for it. That's exactly how I'm going to communicate with you. When no one else is around and you hear the sound of flatulence, that's how you know I am there. Okay? People say, well, why would you want to do something like that? Well, there's a reason. Because all the other spirits in the spirit world... They're communicating with their relatives through psychic mediums. They're flickering on lights. They're appearing in manifestation. I, I don't know how to do that. This is what I know how to do best in this reality. I'm sure that I'm going to take that talent with me to the next reality. Okay? Now, keep in mind, I know some of you are going to take liberties with that. What was that? Honey, it's Ryan. He's communicating with me from the dead. Can you believe this? Well, he sure communicates with you from the dead quite frequently. I know. It's a miracle. It's a miracle, I tell you. What can I tell you? I was dropped on my head several thousand times when I was a kid. A couple screws are loose. <laughs> Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Dr. Alan L. Bakken, psychologist. He's also author of a phenomenal book called Induced After Death Communication, a Miraculous Therapy for Grief and Loss. You can learn more about him by going to his website at induced-adc.com. Dr. Al, welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Ryan. Listen, when I came across your site and your work, I was completely fascinated, and I think it's going to offer people out there we're suffering a lot of hope and peace. Can you please talk about what induced after-death communication is? Okay. Well, um, I have to give you the nutshell version. 
Um, but it all started when I was working in an inpatient unit at a VA hospital for combat vets with PTSD, and I worked there for 20 years or so. And um, a new treatment came out um, sort of in the middle of my uh, stay there, and it was called EMDR, or Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It is a science-based and even brain-based approach to the treatment of traumatic memories. And it absolutely changed the way we did business. And for the first time uh, ever, and this started goes all the way back to the early 1990s, we were getting uh, results that were unheard of in the field. In other words, we would help people not only learn to live with their ongoing suffering from a traumatic experience, but we're actually um, very successful in ter terms of taking that suffering away. And um, after experimenting with a number of variations of EMDR, um, I came up and I sort of stumbled by accident into a method that um, reliably induced after-death communications in my patients. And the first time this happened, I didn't even know. I thought my patient had hallucinated. I wasn't aware of what after-death communications were. Of course, I only later found out that ADCs or after-death communications occur randomly and spontaneously in about 30% of the population. And it's been known for some time that these experiences uh, greatly accelerate the grieving process. But in an ADC, a person has an experience that they believe is an actual uh, communication with the spirit of the deceased person they're grieving. And so after I sort of stumbled into this and didn't know exactly what I was getting into, um, I found I could I refined that method and could induce the experience in a very high percentage of the patients I was working with. All right. So the basis of the after death communication is this? Would you say conclusive proof, proof. that people yeah. are able to tap into a frequency that there is communications that's happening all around us? And that way you have to tune in your brain or tune into your – how do you actually access it? Well, okay. Um, proof to me is a, a mathematical term. It's also used um, in the legal profession. Um, but as a scientist, you know, um, we don't prove things. We, we just come up with the best evidence and the best hypotheses and so on. Um, certainly my – Patients would tell you that that the experience to them absolutely proved there was an afterlife, and I, you know, and there have been many um, kind of brain-based theories that have come out to explain away ADCs, after-death communications and near-death experiences, which which really don't hold any water. I, I have a good background in neuroscience and brain function and so on. And really, n nobody's been able to explain these experiences away. So I, it, in the end, I would say, while we have, while we don't have proof, and again, that's not a scientific term, I would say the afterlife hypothesis is probably the best hypothesis we have going to explain these experiences. So, um, good. yeah. Just so, how does someone engage? engage. 
and after a death communication? Like, what, what would you say with that process? How could somebody begin? Like, well, in, in terms of what I do, I mean, many people have this experience on their own without going through any process. And again, it's about 30%. But it's interesting that people who report these spontaneous after death communications generally say that the experience sort of comes out of the blue, whether they're awake or asleep, and they occur at a time where they're not thinking about their deceased loved one who has died, or um, they're not wanting the experience, and they're not feeling sad in that particular moment. It just kind of comes out of the blue. Well, when I induce the experience, um, the first thing we do is we process the deep and dark sadness that goes with the loss. And it's interesting that that sort of matches up with how people describe spontaneous after-death communication. They don't feel, they don't have those experiences when they're sad. So in my procedure, I use this very high-powered, you know, brain-based approach to, to clear the sadness. And once the sadness is cleared, People feel a sense of peace and a sense of relief and calm. And once they're in that state, they're much more um, open to these experiences. And additional eye movements um, re reliably induce the experience. So in, in, in using uh, induced after-death communication, we don't directly induce the after-death communication, what we do is we induce a state of mind where an, a very natural and spontaneous after-death communication is just much more likely. Okay. And as far as you said, you want to clear out the status. I imagine that it doesn't matter if you lost someone a day ago or 10 years ago. If they're close to you, you're always going to have a substantial amount of sadness. So what state of frequency would you say you have to have your brain to be in in order to receive these communications? And what I'm alluding to is I'm, I'm also wondering if it has anything to do with the speed for which your brain oscillates because we have touched upon that, the brainwave frequencies, knowing that if you guess you slower your brain down, if you go into a delta or theta, that your brain is well, more likely to yeah, pick up certain yeah. things. But, um, and, 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 and when using the side movement procedure, it's very different from hypnosis. Okay. The most One of the most frequent questions I get is 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 eye movement in EMDR or IADC is that similar to hypnosis? And the and the answer to that is is actually no. Um, the brains the brain waves associated with uh, eye movement um, are, are are very um, similar to a waking state. They're not a deep or trance state, um, but in terms of you know energy and vibration, you know one of the good a good theory that has been put forth is that when um, the deceased really um, seem to be at a higher vibrational level, level they're more it's more energetic, they're more, and sometimes during an ADC experience, the deceased talk too fast, you have to ask them to slow down and so on, <laughs> and 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 they have told us that they see us as in slow motion. We're, we're slow and fuzzy to them when we're in a normal consciousness. When we're sad, we're really dark and slow. And they have told us that it's very difficult for them to get through to us. And, and so many times when working with a patient, 
um, you know, when my patient has the experience, they turn to me and say, you know, my loved one just told me that they had been trying to get through to me for some time but just couldn't. It's not easy for them. But when we process the sadness with this very brain-based procedure that works that works marvel- marvelously, um, and, and they get to a higher state of vibration where they feel very relaxed and peaceful, um, they're, um, the, it's much easier for the deceased to get through to them. Okay, Dr. Bonkin, as far as, say, for example, it's difficult for you to get to that place of happiness emotionally, but at the same time, you do have the power within your hands to do whatever you can to optimize the physical body. I'm talking about you know, making sure your body's hydrated, making sure you have the right vitamins and nutrients, maybe doing some exercising, sure. taking in some foods that are going to increase your brain's production of serotonin within the body. Are those things that a person can do that would kind of be um, produ- that would be productive in helping you get to that place where you can receive the communication even faster. Well, those kind of factors um, may be involved, but if they are, they're not as um, determining or as powerful as just the emotional state of the person. You know, it has so much to do with. Um, Again, it's the sadness that gets in the way. And what we do in induced after-death communication is we remove that. Now, I haven't, I haven't done any studies, nor do I know anybody who has, who has done any studies where those other factors, you know, may play a role, you know, and who knows that that may be possible. Just I what, mean, talking th- about clearing those, factors, m- those factors may be uh, contributing. I'm sorry? No, I'm just wondering because you're talking about getting a person out of a sad place, and I always wonder sometimes if a person can be in a sad place, well, because of emotionally, and also because their body is not getting enough nutrients. Sometimes I always wonder if, you know, your body sends you signals of pain and pleasure based on how it's being treated, and sometimes it may send you a signal of pain or sadness because it's like, hey, you know, give me some more fuel. I want some more water. I want some more candy bars or something. You know, give me something. Well. Again, that that may have something to do with it, but I would imagine they would only be additive in terms of the overall contribution. It really so much has to do with the overall emotional state of the person. Dr. Bucket, I want to ask you a question about how communication occurs between individuals who are currently occupying a physical existence on Earth at the vibration mm-hmm. frequency we on, we're on, maybe, which some, I guess we call it dense, and those who are in spirit, eternity, I guess at a higher vibration, that don't have a body to necessarily worry about. Right. Sometimes people have dreams, and in their dreams they get inspired. And sometimes, you know, when, they, when they're in a very relaxed state or meditate, they get inspired. So mm-hmm. my understanding is that when you're at that, sleeping state, you're in a delta state, which means your brain's oscillating at a very low frequency. So in your experience, do you find that despite the fact that the brain is oscillating slower in a more relaxed state, that it is more prime to receive messages? Like, What is the best state of mind well, for a person to receive well, inspiration and messages from um, you know, You know, if, if, w- w- when, when we talk to our patients, 
and we ask them how they feel um, prior to the induction of the ADC experience, they say, I feel, oh, I just feel so calm, I feel so peaceful. Now, from a brainwave point of view, we probably go from uh, beta to alpha, where they are in a more relaxed state. But um, I don't think it goes any deeper than that, at, at least at least in the kind of work that we do. Now, um, many people have ADCs, spontaneous ADCs, during sleep. But when people report those experiences, um, you know, some people call them dream visitations or uh, and so on. Um, ADCs during sleep are very different for a number of reasons from just regular dreams. For one thing, ADCs during sleep are much clearer than dreams. Um, and dreams tend to fade, you know, either right away or over the next day, whereas ADCs during sleep are remembered for a lifetime. And ADCs during sleep are much clearer than dreams and have an emotional impact that dreams don't have. So some people equate ADCs during sleep to dreams, but, you know, yes, it, they're, they're similar in that both both experiences occur while people are asleep, but it's it, they seem to be of very different qualities. So, bro, can you please guide us through a session where you meet a patient for the first time, what process do you take them through and how do you get them okay. to this point? Okay, well, I'll tell you the first time this happened and it took me completely by surprise. But I had made a number of changes to the standard EMDR protocol and um, I was working with a patient I call Sam and he was in Vietnam, and he had uh, developed a very close relationship with a 10-year-old orphan Vietnamese girl named Lee. And Sam had made plans um, he, and to bring Lee, to get Lee back to the States with him so he could adopt her, and he developed a very close father-daughter kind of relationship with her. And they they spent time at the base camp talking about you know what life in the United States was like and so on and and uh, but anyway had they had this wonderful father daughter relationship and then one day um, right in front of Sam Lee was shot by a sniper through the back and she was dead and that was kind of the cause of Sam's psychological undoing at the time but. Well, anyways, when I worked with him, <coughs> excuse me, the first thing I did was, of course, again, we processed the sadness associated with this loss. And he had, you know, very deep, profound sadness. He cried and sobbed. He almost fell out of his chair. And uh, But I kept eye-moving him through that, which allowed the brain to process that and alter that sadness. And he got to the point where he was feeling you know, relaxed and calm, and I gave him another set of eye movements, and he closed his eyes, and the tears stopped, and he started to to kind of giggle and laugh while I was sitting there looking at him, and I, I thought, well, that's kind of an unusual response. And when he opened his eyes, he told me what had happened, which was that Lee appeared to him as a young woman 
in a beautiful white dress with beautiful long black hair and surrounded by the most beautiful white light he had ever seen. And then um, Lee told Sam, this is all private, I'm not privy to any of this. He, Lee told him, you know, thank you for taking care of me back then. And then he privately said to her, I love you, Lee. And then Lee said, I love you too, Sam. And she reached out and gave him a hug. And when he opened his eyes, he said, I could actually feel her arms around me. Now, this is a guy who didn't have any religious beliefs. He wasn't expecting that to happen. This is something that just completely came out of the blue. And he was absolutely convinced that he had talked to Lee's spirit and she was fine with where she was and that they were still connected in a very important and profound way. That's really amazing. And based on what you've learned from this experience, based on the amount of people that you have treated, what are some things that people can do to kind of get themselves along the ways? Again, I want to let everyone know that your website is induced-adc.com. We are speaking with Dr. Alan L. Botkin, and uh, of course on our website we're going to put a link to your, to your book and to your site. By the way, your book, Induced After-Death Communication, Miraculous Therapy for Grief and Loss, has got incredible uh, reviews. A lot of people are very touched by it. They said that they've, um, they've had a really yeah. profound, uh, positive experience with it. I think it's wonderful that you do work it, like it this. It is wonderful. It's, it's absolutely wonderful work. I'm 69 years old, and I thought I would have retired by now, um, but I, I still see uh, people in grief, and I don't think I would I, I'm, I, I would ever stop doing this. It's really wonderful work to do. And there are now IEDC therapists all over the world. And um, You actually train IEDC, people. I said that you actually have a training. Yeah, I, I, I train people from all over the world. IEDC is very big in Germany. It's growing rapidly in Italy. We got we have something going in France, and of course it's big in the United States. Uh, we have scientific studies that are underway, and um, so you know everything's good. The progress has been slow, um, but, but but very positive at the same time, and very supportive. Dr. Allen. One individual who we do have on our program, we have actually had him on earlier, Dr. Rick Doblin, and it's from the Psychedelic Institute. We talked about utilizing MDMA and other psychedelics as a means of healing. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if MDMA, have you ever incorporated MDMA or thought that it can MDMA be of uh, use in enhancing the after-death communication? The understanding is that during MDMA, your body goes into a certain state where you know, it's being used by the uh, even by the, by the FDA to treat people who have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm wondering if right. MDMA could be another uh, key that unlocks um, after-death communication on a magnified scale. Well, it, it may be. And as a matter of fact, I recently uh, worked with a younger patient who had um, ADCs in my office. And he said his first ADC occurred when he was on an LSD trip. And he, he had lost a brother a few years prior. And he felt his brother coming through to him. So I think there's some potential there. However, I would think that doing IADC therapy, uh, your chances are probably um, much better that you would have the experience. 
And and and, 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 and some people who are meditators, um, you know, when they're in the, that space between their thoughts and they feel calm, um, you know, sometimes ADCs come through at that time as well. So meditation, you know, maybe some of these other ways are, uh, you know, th- th- there, there's no one way to get there. And, of course, they happen randomly and spontaneously as well. I think, you know, in Raymond Moody, with his psychomantium approach, you know, which came out, you know, decades ago, um, many of his uh, subjects had uh, ADC experiences. So so there's no one way to get there. Um, I guess the advantage of doing IADC therapy is that it's pretty reliable because of about 75 to 79 percent of people who undergo IADC therapy have an ADC at the end of the second session. And it only takes it only takes two sessions to do it. It's not a long drawn out kind of therapy. Have you ever had people that have gone through your program say they've gotten some pretty interesting or even humorous messages from those who are in spirit? Humorous? Yeah. Humor? Funny, yeah, funny, funny messages. You know, yeah. Well, you know, um, it seems that when people die, they don't change too much other than the fact that they're no longer in body. Um, but I, I, I was working with a, a young woman once who had lost a sister, and she and her sister has always, always had a great relationship, and they always laughed about everything, and, you know, they'd get giddy together and all that kind of stuff. And I remember when I was working with her, um, I went for I went to induce the ADC with her sister, and she closed her eyes, and she, and 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 right when she closed her eyes, I had to sneeze, so I I covered my nose. I you know I didn't want to sneeze right in the middle of this, you know, so I kind of covered my nose and grabbed my nose before she closed her eyes, and when she closed her eyes, she just started laughing and laughing and laughing, and when she opened her eyes, she told me that that her sister had told her that. The reason I covered my nose was because she stunk. <laughs> but, but, but you know, that that's the way they talked. And and so, you know, the kind of relationship they had and the way they talked was, was still the same, which brought great comfort to, to this woman. Yeah, there's a, there's a, funny stuff happens, um, absolutely. Dr. Alan L. Botkin, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. To learn more about Dr. Botkin and his phenomenal work, please go to the website at induced-adc.com. He also is author of a phenomenal book called Induced After Death Communication, a Miraculous Therapy for Grief and Loss. Dr. Botkin. Yeah, as a matter of fact, if, if, if you go to my website and you're interested in finding an IADC therapist, I have... ID, trained IADC, IADC therapists listed geographically all over the world. So, you know, if you are interested, hopefully you can find somebody close to you. Okay. Dr. Alan Bakken, thank you again so much for being with us. Talk to you soon. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. I enjoyed it. Welcome back to the show. Is Mr. Philip Smith. We've had him on two or three different times before. Oh, sorry, I screwed that up. And three, two, one. Welcome back to the program. It's Mr. Philip Smith. He's an artist. He's an author of a phenomenal book called Walking Through Walls, a memoir. 
can learn more about him by going to the website, walkingthroughwallsthebook.com. Mr. Smith, welcome back to the program. It's an honor to have you with us as always, sir. Ryan, it's always a pleasure. I love the work you do. Thank you. So I would say that of all the people we've interviewed, you have a very interesting story. The fact is that your father is no longer with us in the physical reality, yet you still communicate with him. And your father was amazing, and I encourage people to listen to some of the early interviews with Philip talking about his father, but how do you communicate with your father who's no longer with us, and how do you how long have you had built that relationship for? Um, well, there, there's actually two very simple ways I communicate with him, whether if there's one in which I'm reaching out to him, and the second one is when he's reaching out to me. Um, uh, when I'm reaching out to him is I simply sit down in front of uh, the computer, I get quiet, and uh, I just let him talk to me, and I close my eyes and I type, sometimes five minutes, sometimes 20, sometimes 50 minutes, and I have no idea. My eyes are closed. I don't know what I'm writing, and then um, I'll go back maybe later or the next day, and I'll read what's been written, and it's it's absolutely immaculate and perfect, <laughs> um, and there's no typos. There's no misspellings, and um, so he'll he'll talk to me. He'll instruct me. He'll be a father to me. When when he wants to reach out to me, um, it's really interesting. What he'll do is he'll he'll tickle me on my earlobe. It's as if um, there's a mosquito buzzing by, and you, you're for the first couple times I was just swatting it away, swatting it away, and then I realized that um, we were not in summer. <laughs> we were in winter. There were no mosquitoes around. There were no bugs around, so I stopped and I thought, oh, that's him. And what's really interesting about the way he, he tickles me on the earlobe, it's either, you know, he wants me to pay attention or I'll just stop and I say, okay, what do you want to tell me? And when you go to the website, there's a little drawing that my father did of his face, and there are points all over his face. They look like acupuncture points. And those were the points at which his various spirit doctors would, would, would tickle him or tap him to communicate with him. There was like this guy, Dr. Han, who was an eye surgeon, or Chandra Sen, who was his master physician. And there were different points on his face in, in which they, they would contact him. And I had totally forgotten about that this is how he operated. And then when he started tickling me, I remembered, oh, this is how he did it with, with his guys. So it, it sort of works that way. And, you know, what's really interesting is I, I know people have a hard time dealing with death and dealing with, with the fact that someone's physically not here. But the universe and nature is just not stupid. It's really smart. It's, it's pretty miraculous. And to think that we would go through this whole life and, and you know, we, you watch a kid grow or you watch seeds come up when you planted seeds and all this sort of imprinted, growth information that's there and the, the dynamic aspect of being alive with your heart beating and your eyes looking around. Um, nature didn't do all this and invest in and design all this just so that we could die and, and, and get thrown away. So I think that nature is very, very intelligent. So therefore, you know, I think the spirit just lives on because we wouldn't go through all this for nothing. There's no point. And and everything is is so well designed in my estimation. So um, 
I, and I have no doubt. We, you and I have talked about many times, um, and also working through through a medium, um, Patricia, Patricia Michelle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've I've had amazing conversations, just like you and I are having with my parents. So um, and with other people as well. So um, that's basically. It's really simple. I mean, it, it, and unfortunately, you know, when someone you love dies, you feel that 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 they've just been erased. And they haven't, but it's it's you just have to be really receptive. You know, when when my father died, um, something um, the, the, some some bad things had happened, and I was sort of working with the police. And later, through Patricia, he said to me, he said, "I was yelling at you. <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right. This is what happened, and I'm screaming at you." And he says, "You just didn't know how to hear me." And which is true, and I think we all have that ability, but it's it just takes um, acceptance and belief and and working at it. So he was yelling at you, and I'm wondering when he is in spirit, he's communicating with you. What is the barrier between a person who's in spirit when they're communicating with you, when you're communicating to them? Are they? Is it easier for them to hear us than it is for us to hear them? Well, it's interesting because uh, my father had, um, in, in, he took, uh, when he was alive, um, he took 5,000 pages of spirit dictation, and um, there's just a wealth of information there about about healing and, and, and the afterlife. And I think it was Arthur Ford, my father was asking him, you know, what is it like to be in spirit? And, and Arthur said to him, well, you know, it's like those old uh, detective movies where you would see like the, the detective interviewing the criminal, the perpetrator, and then on the other side is a is a one-way mirror, and the captain is watching the whole uh, interview process. He says that's what it's like for us. We're just on the other side of the mirror, and we're watching everything, but you can't see out. What you you look at a mirror, and and your world is reflected back at you. And this makes perfect sense. Wow. That's really amazing. And when you're communicating with your father, is he up to date on everything? Is he still in his human consciousness? Does he does he talk to you as if he has a superior consciousness, being that he's not having to worry about maintaining a physical body because he's in spirit form? Does he have access to information that he didn't have access before? Yes, he talks about being on, on different planes and... Um, uh, we had asked him if he wanted to reincarnate and come back, and he said, no, I have, I have just too much work to do here, whereas my mother has said that she would like to come back. Um, and it's interesting that it's not only superior knowledge, but at the time I was talking to my mother, um, I, was, uh, I was in the process of designing a house to build. I, I didn't have a building permit. I, I hadn't gotten very far, but I had the plans drawn. And in the very first conversation I had with my mother through through Patricia, we finished, and I thanked Patricia. I said, this is a, just a great conversation. And then she said, uh, wait, 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 your mom's coming back, your mom's coming back. And my mom said, I forgot to tell you, I love the new house you're building. You're going to be so happy there. You're going to be really creative there. And that just blew me away because, you know, Patricia didn't know. No one knew I had just really started these plans. And she said, there's so much light in this house. Um, and she's right that it, the house is largely all glass and there's actually too much light. But um, uh, so they have both sort of superior knowledge and actually 
everyday knowledge. And as far as someone else who wants to communicate with a loved one who's no longer with us, what are some of the, the, the tips that you could offer someone, how they could begin that process? Um, I, think, I think the most important thing is, is to talk to them and um, to talk to them. The first, yeah, the first thing is talk to them and, and either set aside some private time where you can, you can just sit there and have a conversation. What I do actually uh, every night is uh, I light a candle for my mother and I will talk to her, you know, just a little tea light, um, and I will talk to her for a few minutes and tell her about my day or, or tell her something that I'm thinking about or that's bothering me. And, um, and I listen. And uh, it's, it's like a muscle. That's, that's the best way to describe it is, is you know, when, when, when you haven't worked out for a long time and you get on the treadmill, you're kind of out of breath and you say, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, three, four weeks later, you keep plugging away and all of a sudden you, you catch your wind and you catch your stride. Talking to them is the same way. It's just all of a sudden you it, – it, it just clicks in. I, I don't know any other way to say it. Just um, You can't wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to talk to my, my Uncle Bob. And, oh, well, I didn't hear anything from him. It doesn't work. He's dead. And it, 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 It's training, and it's self-training, really. I don't know that anybody can really guide you through it. I think you have to just work at it yourself. Well, there's a gentleman, Martin Short, who um, I wish we had an opportunity to one day talk with him, but apparently he talks to his, his late wife all the time. He says he has regular communications. And I love what you said that it's something that builds up after a while because I'm wondering if it, you have to train your brain to be in a receptive frequency and you also have to train yourself to be open to the idea of possibility because there are a lot of people that will say, well, I'm science-based. I'm a science-based thinker, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking, well, science – but what about all the other things that we can't explain? There's so much out there that we don't know. Why not add this to something and just embrace it? Because, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, if you have the communication, fantastic. But if you have that, I almost feel like if you have that scientific brain mind, you're going to miss out on the opportunity of, of it potentially ever happening. Yeah, and I think also, unfortunately, it's, it's – I'm not denigrating in any way Western culture – but when, when you when you go to other cultures and you speak to people um, from Burma or Mongolia or certainly from India, I mean, this is not news to them. This is this makes perfect sense. Of course, this is how it works. Of course, when you die, you go into spirit and you watch over your loved ones and you communicate with them and, and you make things happen for them. Of course, it's a fact, and that's how other cultures see this. And I remember I was at a uh, an art lunch one day, and uh, I was sitting next to someone, and she was asking me, you know, a little bit about my art, and I, I mentioned I'd written this book and my experience with having a, a healer father, and um, she said, "You actually believe this?" And I said, "No, I don't believe it. It's a fact. It's it's the way life is." And she said, "She said, well." Don't people? And this was a very sophisticated woman. And she said, "Well, don't people think you're you're crazy when you talk like that?" I said, "Well, it doesn't matter to me because this is this is this is the world as I know it, and this is how the world works. Um, you just don't know this stuff, and that's okay. But it's I know something different than you. So yeah, it is. Um, I, I think we, we're we're trained and we're afraid of it, and you know." Death is is surrounded by so much trauma, and people crying, and 
um, it's horrible and the lawyers and, and everything and the doctors, it's just, it's a really bad scene. And um, I think we, and that's why we sort of sanitize it and we want to avoid it. Um, but uh, it's, you know, listen, it's part of life. It's like, it's like the, the old story of, of, of the, the, the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. I mean, there's no, those are two separate lives, but that's the perfect analogy for life after death. And when you since you've been communicating with your father, I mean, what are some of the insights that he, he's told you over the years? I mean, does he do you keep up and do you, do you tell him how your day was? And um, does he also you know tell you about things that he may be seeing in the future for you? Is he kind of giving you like advice? And you know, I love that thing I was talking to Patricia about you is that you guys are you're both working on a, a book together, which I think is amazing. You and your dad yes. are still are still working together. It's great. Yeah, it and um um it was actually during uh during one of the first sessions my father said, "Listen, I know you're really busy and you have your own life, but I'm going to ask you a big favor. I want you to write about what I I did because um um people in your world, especially doctors, they need this information because you know, the the doctors rely on machines. And they believe it because it's a, a plastic or metal box and you plug it in. But if the, if a human sort of intuitively came up with that information, they wouldn't believe it. They would dismiss it, which is ridiculous. Um, uh, so, I mean, I was at the bank today and I, I gave these checks to be deposited and the woman kept telling me, um, I was wrong and she was shortchanging me. She said, well, we, we put it through that counter thing. And I said, let me show you how to count this. And I just laid the checks out. I said, now add this up. And I said, so you're telling me that, that the machine is, is, is right and I'm wrong. And that's, that's how medicine is today. We will believe test results. We will believe all of these things, but we won't believe the, the human ability to either intuit, to diagnose, or to heal. I'm wondering why that's the case. I'm wondering if it has to do with the fact that you know, if you get an insight through human intuition, people are probably, well, how do we make money off that? We need to figure out a way to charge for human intuition. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people have figured that out. It was funny because I had I had an art dealer here from Germany the other night, and we were we made dinner, and he, we were talking, and I just looked at him, and I saw this this bottle in front of him um, of a certain uh, uh, herbal compound, uh, a mushroom. And that boosts his immune system. So I, I, I talked to him and I said, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but I think you need to take this. Are you having immune issues? And um, uh, I was right, but you know, I didn't. It's not. It's. It, and I got him the supplement, and, and he's he's actually looking a lot better. But I didn't do anything. The information came to me. I didn't. I didn't say you know, sit there and ponder his, his well-being. It's just we were talking and this thing flashed in front of my face. And when it does that, that's when I know it's correct. And that's, I don't care what anybody tells me at that point, when, when it just is sort of downloaded into me, um, I will go anywhere with that information because I know that it's true and it's correct. That's really awesome. That's really awesome that you're doing that. And getting back to something you said a little earlier, there are some people that will say, well, if you're having this insight, you might be crazy when... 
I don't know. I mean, if this is your healing process, if you're healing and this is your journey and this is what's making you feel better, who cares what the rest of the world thinks? I mean, if you look at the world right now, it looks to be completely insane. So whatever you're doing and it works for you, it works for you. I mean, who needs to be, care to be worried about what this world, if this world's judging you? If this world was very peaceful and they were judging you, man, maybe there'd be some pressure, but it's chaos. There's no reason to judge. But, uh, and people, oh, let me just say one real quick thing. And people forget that that 250,000 people a year, a quarter of a million people a year, die from medical errors. Um, so we're actually killing more people. And I'm not denigrating medicine because medicine does save a lot of lives and is wonderful. We're killing more people through through medicine than we do through through gunshot wounds, through terrorism, through car accidents. So there, there needs to be another way. Got it. And. Uh... Mr. Philip Smith, I want to let everyone know that you have a phenomenal book, Walking Through Walls Memoir, where we talked about your father, Lou Smith. He was very ahead of his time. I'm curious, did he ever relay any insights to you about the future of communication with those who are not in the physical realm? Did he ever talk about the idea that we would develop and grow to a point where we would have regular frequent communication with those in spirit? And it would be considered a lot more mainstream than it is right now that we would actually have a um, almost a scientific methodology for allowing this to happen. Mm. No, you know, it's it's what he did and it's how he lived. So he did not think that it was strange, and I don't think he paid attention to the rest of the world. To, I mean, he just did not entertain skeptics. He did not enter. You know, when they would arrest him for practicing medicine without a license, um, it just it. You know, it just didn't exist. It was just like a little mosquito bite to him. It was just an annoyance. So I think he – and he would say to people, what I can do, you can do. So the fact that he had these abilities, he thought everyone had these abilities, and it was just a question of believing it and accepting it and, and practicing it. And um, it, it's like anything. You start out, and you're, you're fumbling, you're fumbling, and like I said, one day it just clicks, and it's when you're kind of not looking. Mr. Philip Smith, artist, phenomenal guest, and author of a great book called Walking Through Walls, a memoir. You know more about Mr. Smith by going to his website at walkingthroughwallsthebook.com. Mr. Smith, thank you so much. Ryan, thank you for everything and all the good work you do in the world. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Patricia Michelle. She's a psychic medium and healer. She's been working for over 48 years. You can learn more about her by going to her website at patriciam.com. This is Michelle. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. There are people who want to receive messages. They want to facilitate communication with those who are no longer with us in the physical realm. How are you able and how are other people able to receive these communications? Is it a matter of these people that are in the non-physical, are they at a certain frequency? And because you're accustomed to knowing what these messages are, it's, it's kind of like is your brain decoding these messages, and you're able to you know, kind of translate and say that whatever frequency they're sending you, that you're able to translate into words. How does that work out, and why are some people able to receive direct, almost human-on-human -human communication with others who are no longer with us? Well, you know what? There is a law. And there is a law in the world of God, and I've learned that over 48 years. And that law is this. Uh, do, do not do harm to another human being or whatever. Okay. Now, I want to give you an example. 
And I sometimes have to pray over these things, but I, I have, people will ask me, now, I'm going to give you some examples. I work with the police and the FBI on missing persons and murder cases all the time. And, and okay, so I've had people come in the office. I need you to tell me who murdered so-and-so. This is the family, right? And I look at them, and I will say to them, you must go to the police department, and you can talk to the police about this. But I personally, whatever I'm doing with the police, cannot divulge to you. And the reason being is that years ago, when someone found out that I knew who murdered so-and-so, later on, I found that, and because I was doing television, a lot then, and those things were being told to the public. Well, this man who had murdered his father came to my office with his family and sat there and looked at me and said, um, okay, do you happen to know, I know you're working with the police, do you happen to know who murdered so-and-so? And I looked straight at him, and I got these cold chills, and I got this feeling of, oh, my God, I am in trouble. And I looked at him, and I smiled, and I just said, you know, um, that's something that you're probably going to have to talk to the police about. I really don't have a clue as to who killed that person. I wish I did. <laughs> but and then the police took over because I called them afterwards, and they took over, and, of course, it was this young man who was sitting in my office. Now, so... Well, Trisha, why you? Why uh, why are the people like you that are able to do it, and why are there some people not able to receive these communications, receive these uh, gut feelings? I mean, okay. even if you have people that are very open to it, why why aren't majority people I able think, to receive these messages? Okay, I think that okay. First of all, I never asked for this. Never ever in a million years that I asked for this. But what happened is I died when I was eleven. And after that death experience and after me going into the world of God and actually visiting with him and coming back into my body, um, you know, um, and, the, and the doctors bringing me back to life, um, within two weeks I was already seeing um, spirit. I mean, not spirit, excuse me, that's not true. Two weeks from the time that I had the death experience, I knew that a woman who was hanging her wash uh, next door to us was going to die, and I told my mom and uh, about that. So, but I think it's because I actually died, and now I died two times. I was about seven years old, and I died um, in a swimming accident in a whirlpool, and it was going around and around and around. And I saw someone who I thought was my angel because I had seen him when I was three pull me out of the water and actually save me. And so that was the first. Now, because of that death experience, now remember when I say water, many seven years and 11 years of age, the doctor said that I had this horrible problem, and the reason, and I was 5% only, I was 5% deaf in one ear. But because of that, um, they had to do surgery on me. And and so I was allergic to the anesthesia. That uh, and 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 since that time, I I've really looked into 
you know, what was happening to me. But we're looking at 1947 when they really didn't understand a lot about, you know, things like that happen, uh, happening. But they told me I had chronic otitis, something like, oh, and the only thing I can remember is otitis media, I think, was. And it was an inflammation of the canal. And that eardrum, the external opening of the ear, apparently it's called swimmer's ear. But I, my mom didn't take me to a doctor. In those days, I was just, the ear was draining on the, uh, on the pillow and things like this. So get away from my illness and my surgery that I had to go through. But the, but the thing is, I think it's because I actually went into that world. I saw that world. I was with my angel. And I had seen this angel um, when I was three years old, an experience that I had. And I am going to, I'm writing a book beyond what happens when you die. But, but what happened was the fact that it shows that somehow we in life have guardian angels. We do have, we are saved at times when you think, why was I saved and then and somebody else didn't get saved? But I believe that our universe is magnificent, and and but we have to look for and believe. And I think the problem is, Brian, a lot of people don't believe. They, I have found a it's hard for them because it's they're looking they're looking for a logical answer. I mean, I'd say even myself, I I am open. I'm also skeptical in some ways because I you know, I'm curious about it. But I mean, people are they're expecting that? Okay, well. If so-and-so were alive, I would get a direct message or I would get something else out there. And Patricia, over the course of many years, I'm starting to expand and say, well, if you see a sign or you see something, a symbol, hear something that triggers an emotional response within you that provides you some side of peace of comfort, I always wonder if that's part of the communication. Absolutely. Because you're in a different form. Yeah. But, but that's absolutely right, though. You know, uh, that grandmother, she told this, her grandchild she said, do you remember you going down the steps? And she said, your light, you turned it off, but I turned it back on. And the granddaughter started, she goes, oh, my God. I, she said, I even wanted, I even called the police because she said I thought somebody was in my house. The light had gone on, and it was her grandmother. So, and, and I thought, now listen, a lot of spirits who leave that quickly, they don't have that energy to turn off lights and stuff. I mean, it sometimes takes them a few months before they learn to flicker the lights or play around with your music, but there's always these wonderful signs, and they're giving us signs every solitary day, but our skepticism is so deep, it's like, oh, I wonder if that's really grandma or mom or dad. If there's anything that a person can do who wants to make that connection with a loved one, what can they do, and how do they receive that communication? Okay, now the first thing that they need to do is this. The first thing, I have meditated, and I will tell them, I meditate for 48 years. I never have missed a half-hour meditation any day out of those 48 years, unless I was in the hospital or something and couldn't do it. Now, when you meditate, you get close. That's the only time that we have to sit in the silence and we be fed. So if you're sitting there, then God is feeding us. So 
that's how I believe the opening continues, and it continues. And the other thing is not wanting to use your gift for bad purposes, to find out if your husband's cheating. To go, you know, there's a lot of things that, that happen with with what why people want to be a medium or a psychic even. And so I have found that that um, if you want, here's what I would be doing. It's sitting down, close your eyes, kind of open the like the top of your head, just kind of unzip it like, and say, I'm asking that guardian angel, whatever, is moves to me and that I am I am fully protected, but I ask to speak to and then give the full name of whom you wish. And then say, and if you have, if you will communicate, say, Mom, to me, um, I'm here to receive. Close your eyes and just sit there for a few minutes. Then start writing. Now, when you start to write, what will happen is all of a sudden it, it it's like nothing wants to come or... You think, oh, that's got to be my thoughts. That's not mom's thoughts. But the more you do it in practice, maybe take yourself 45 days to practice and practice this. All of a sudden, you'll start to get full sentences, full paragraphs, and it just starts flowing. And a lot of people who are mediums have really started that way, where they actually will even start writing and, and, and these messages start to come. So I suggest if you're really serious and you really want to make the contact, do not second-guess yourself. When that message starts to come, that message is from that person. If you start getting negative messages and horrible things, one, especially, now this is where I, I really tell people, stop. If you get a message that says, if you take your clothes off and you run down the, to your car and you get in the car and you drive downtown and you come back, that's a test. We are testing you to see whether or not you're worthy of receiving our messages. Well, that... It sounds like you have a prankster relative there, because that's something I would actually do to someone, but... Yes, you would. <laughs> if I was doing it, yeah. <laughs> I know you would. Just well out of kids, but not really. Okay, but, but that's the truth. And so then you know, hey, i got to close this session. This is not worth it. Because then is where possession can come in. So you have to be careful. That's why I would probably have, have these, um, you've probably got some wonderful teachers that teach mediumship and psychic development on your show. I used to, I did the mentoring for many, many years, but I am no longer doing that. But I suggest that they probably look at your show, Ryan, because you always have the top-of-the-shelf people that you interview. Thank you. I would go there and see if those people were willing to teach you or train you how to be the medium and the psychic, because that's the safe way to do it. It's always have a teacher. Ms. Patricia Michelle, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Patricia is a psychic medium. She's working for over 48 years. We actually did a comprehensive one-on-one interview with her on our show. You can look her up, and it was wonderful. It was fantastic. She had incredible insights. Ms. Michelle, thank you so much for bringing your time, energy, and love to our show. Uh, I thank you so very much. Okay, everyone, that concludes Part 12 of The Death Show. 
program after this is going to focus specifically on pet loss and healing from the loss of your beloved cat or dog or whatever animal you have. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.